it's a word up here, right? That's just kidding. Um, so pastor and theologian, um, and many of you may know, an author, J.I. Packer, once said that men use the sovereignty of God as a reason to argue, as a point of contention. But the scripture uses the sovereignty of God as a reason to worship. Now, now, what does that have to do with everything we've already even experienced this morning about being thankful and giving praise and trusting God? If, if we don't anchor our praise, our thanksgiving, our rejoicing into the God of the Bible, the God who's in control of all things, um, then, then, then our anchor is, is just adrift along with the rest of the world. So what we are doing right now is we, are, we have been in this season or the series we're called, we, I'm called Righteousness Revealed in the Gospel of Romans, and, and we're taking a break from that to go into this season of, we're called the holiday season. The only reason we call it that is because um, we're in Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. So it's the, all of the holidays together. And kind of like we did in our summer series, if you remember, we did that series called God Space. We took, we took an eight-week break um, in, in that series in order to, um, to sort of practice the theology. That's really what I'm hoping out of this series. So as we come out of this series called um, in Romans and we go into this, um, the weary world rejoices, which is what we're calling our holiday series, I'm praying that we would, that our theology, that, we've, that we wouldn't forget about what we are learning in Romans, but that we would instead embrace what we're learning in Romans, but live it out now, because there's no better time, honestly, than the holiday season for us to be living out what we claim to believe. And so we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at thankfulness before we get into the official Advent season. Uh, Advent begins on, on a, um, November 27th, and that's when we'll officially start Advent. But until then, we're going to spend a couple of weeks today and next Sunday, Lord willing, looking at thankfulness. And I apologize for my mic. I get, we will figure it out, I have no doubt. So the tagline or the subheading of this The Weary World Rejoices is how do we let our souls rejoice in the coming Savior? Guys, like there's, and, 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 and our prayer time could not have set it up more, more beautifully. Like we are at war. We are in what C.S. Lewis called enemy-occupied territory, which means that even though the king has come and he has returned to his kingdom, and someday he will come back and bring that kingdom full in its fullness, we are currently in the kingdom of this world where the god of this world named Satan, the ruler of this world named Satan, is prowling around. And what we're trying to figure out is in the midst of that turmoil, in the midst of that struggle, how do we like stay joyful? How do we continue to praise? How do we rejoice? How do we give thanks? Because it's so easy to get our eyes off of where, like, like him and onto this world when the world is constantly shaking us up. So the, the passage we're looking at today, we're just going to look at three verses in it, but it's actually in your first talking points question. So um, if you want to try to figure this out while, I, while, while you're looking at your talking points question, so look at your talking points question. It's in your bulletin insert. It says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, ceasing, in everything give thanks, and, then the, and here's what I want you to do. I want, while I'm getting my mic switched around, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, so how you doing? So how you doing at rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in everything? Go.
Check, check. Hello, hello. Okay, good. Okay, so since you had all that extra time to talk, what'd you come up with? Some good stuff. So how we doing? How we doing? Not, I heard a not great. 50-50, okay. Seems about right for most of us. 30%, that's, that's okay. That would be in the not great category. Let me ask you this question. What barometers would we even use? Like what barometer, are, when, you, when you turn to your neighbor and you said, so how we doing? Like what are you even using to evaluate the question? Right, and I'm, I'm saying that specifically for you. Maybe also for your marriage, for your family. But I would also say for our church, how are we doing at rejoicing always, at praying without ceasing, at giving thanks and everything? And then ultimately I would say, what about the church? And even specifically the church in the West, because that's the church that we know like the church in America, right? How are we doing in those things? And I would say that for the most part, our answers would be about what was shared. At, at best, we're 50%, right? Like we're the 50 percenters, maybe even doing worse. And I would say that we're probably doing worse now than we've ever done in the history of our country, certainly, than the history of Christendom in the United States, because so much negative is being not only it's, it's not I'm not sure that there's more negativism now than there's ever been. It's just the volume of it we have access to is like it's never been before because of media, because of smartphones, because of social media, etc. We have we were not wired by God to know every bad thing that is going on on the planet, and yet we have access to every bad thing, and I'm speaking in hyperbole, but to that's going on on the planet. And it is wearing us out. And so I, I could not think of any better way of like starting into this series that we're going to be in and going into Christmas rather than just kind of go, hey, Christmas is a couple weeks away. Time to celebrate Jesus. Right? We've, we've been doing Advent here for seven or eight years to at least give us like four weeks of, of heart prep. I thought, no, let's stop and just take a couple of weeks and talk about what does it take to cultivate a thankful heart as we go into that season. So as we look at, like, how do we let our souls rejoice in the coming of our Savior, the first thing we're going to look at in today's message, we're calling it, it takes practice. Guys, we have to practice rejoicing. Rejoicing simply means praising. It means I'm having an attitude, like a positive attitude. You, you, could, you could, it is, praise is rejoicing outwardly shown just to help you like it rejoicing would be the inward heart attitude of praise which would be the outward ex, um, example or um, demonstration of what your heart is doing so it's just so you kind of have a sense of that um, R.C. Sproul another pastor author commentator said it this way about the sovereignty of God he said the more we understand God's sovereignty the more our prayers and I would also say our heart are prone to thanksgiving the more we understand this God who's in control of all things, even our hard things, and we're going to see that today, we can, it gives us the ability, that's really the only way we can be thankful in all circumstances. So today's question is, how do we rejoice in thanksgiving? How do we rejoice in thanksgiving? And we're just going to look at three of the verses in our reading today, and they are rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We will be in the Word in other places. Um, if you want to open up to 1 Thessalonians, you certainly can. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is, is our anchor for today, and it's our outline for the message. But what Paul's going to show us is that we need to practice thankfulness for the blessings, 
We need to practice thankfulness for the burdens, and we need to practice thankfulness for the bounty that He has given us. And we're going to see that in just those three verses. So in 1 Thessalonians, if I find it here, if I turn there, like I said, we're not going to be there much, obviously, because it's just three short verses. In, in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to look at our first point. We're going to look at how we are to be thankful. We are to practice thankfulness for the blessings that He has given us. And he says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice, praise, be thankful. He says, always. So we're to rejoice all the time. Now part of our struggle, I think, with blessing, with, with, like with rejoicing in the blessings or being thankful in the blessings, is twofold. One, we have a perspective problem. We think, we, we think blessing and financial or, for, or physical security are synonymous. And that is not true biblically. Like the Bible does not connect the blessings of God with financial security or physical, heal, or physical health. So that's one. And the other is we have this perspective problem. And I loved how that was even prayed for and sung about and read in verses today. We have a perspective problem. The thing that made God, or David different then the other Israelites, and I didn't know um, Brian was going to open us up with that story, but the thing that made David different was exactly what Adam prayed. God had promised him something, and he was just bold enough to believe it. Right? Like, he was just bold enough to have the faith to go, I'm going to believe what God says, regardless of what goes on with me. And we see that throughout Scripture. But our problem is, and we might sit here today on a Sunday morning and go, absolutely, and then we leave here, and because of all the stuff I was mentioning in the introduction, the world is shaky, all the negativism that's coming at us, all of a sudden our faith starts to wane. We become Peter, who walking on the water sees the wind, sees the waves, sees the storm, gets his eyes off of the Christ, and starts to drown. That's who we become. That's why we need to gather together. That's why we need to be in the Word. That's why we need to encourage one another. It's, but it's because we're a leaky people. We just leak, we get filled up, then we leak. We get, and God knows that. That's the beautiful part about God. So here's where I want you to turn. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And, and we're going to see that, that this is not a New Testament church problem. This, is, this has always been God's people's problem. And if you're in the Old Testament survey class that we're, that we're about to finish up next week, woohoo! If you're in that, guys, we have seen from, from the beginning, for 10 weeks now, that, that, that being a forgetful people, being a leaky people, has always been God's people problem. And he sees that. So in, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is, this, is three sermons that Moses preaches before they enter into the promised land. So they've come out of the Exodus. They've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They're just about to go into the promised land. He's done, he doesn't get to go with them. And he's going to preach three big sermons. That's, what it's, that's why it's called Deuteronomy. He's going to remind them of the promises of God. That's what that word means. Second law is actually what it means. And he says, starting in verse 7 of chapter 8, he says, For the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land. A land of brooks, of fountains, of springs, flowing out of the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley and vines and figs and pomegranates and all kinds of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land that, stone, with, that has stones of iron and out of the hills you will dig copper and you shall eat and be full. 
You shall bless the Lord your God in the good land he's given you. Now, as I read these next few verses, it is easy for us to interject our, like the United States, into this. And there is certainly truth to the fact that the Lord blessed our nation because we were founded on Christian principles and we were fulfilling his sovereign plan for the world. At the same time, I, I'm not, I, I want you to don't think of those people. Don't think of our nation the Christians in our nation even. I want you to think about how do you leak? How are you a forgetful person? He says, because look what he says in verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you. Lest when you have eaten, now get this, here's what he's saying. When things are good, when you've eaten and are full and you've built your houses and you're living in them and your herds and your flocks multiply and we're living the American dream and all those other things and the silver and the gold is multiplying and all that stuff has happened. Now look at what he says in verse 14. Then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's saying we will be just like Satan when he fell. That's what happened to him. His heart was lifted up. And we will forget the salvation of God from our, our deliverance from slavery. And then he says, he's the one who's led you out of the, of the great and terrifying wilderness. It, it was full of fiery serpents and scorpions. The thirsty ground where there was no water, he brought water out of a flinty rock. He's, he's saying, you're going to forget God's provision because times are good. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna, your fathers did not know. And, that, and who humbled you, to, that he might humble you and test you to do what was good in the end. Now get this, last verse. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power to do good, my, I'm sorry, my, my power and my might are what have gotten me this wealth. Guys, this is exactly what happens to us. It's why the writer of Hebrews says, those he loves, he disciplines. It's, it's why we see this pattern over and over in the Old and New Testament. And frankly, if you're honest, you see it in your own life. Guys, it, it, it is... Just a, a part of the human condition that when things are going well for us, we forget God. And he's the one who has given us the well. Right? And it's just, and we have to acknowledge that and recognize that and see that that has always been so. And it's why there are books like Leviticus before Deuteronomy are even written. It's because that way when we have those, he's like, hey, don't forget me, worship me. I'm the one it's all about, he's saying, and we tend to forget that. Look at your second talking points question. Look at your second talking points question. It says, what are some of the secret to seeing the blessings of others? What are some of the, now I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to ask for, I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry, the blessings of your life, I'm sorry. What are, the, what are some um, examples of seeing the blessings of your life and how do you rejoice in them? Now, but now, now here's, I, I want to I prime the pump a little bit by going back and reminding us, so, so there are two problems. One, we're a leaky people. Two, we have a perspective problem. We tend, even, even in the midst of like a hard time or in the midst of a 50-50 time, we tend to see our glass as half empty. I, I've confessed that all the time. I am a glass half empty person. But the reality in Christ is Psalm 23, David, my cup overflows. It's also true in Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Our problem is we have a perspective problem. And we have to train our brains, we have to practice seeing the blessing even in the hard times. So here are a few of them 
Um, I'm going to go back and I want to read real quick. to show. So, so I, I saw these years ago and I just pulled them out for this. It says, so here's, an, here's, here's what somebody wrote about thankfulness. Thank you for a wife who says, it looks like PB&Js again tonight because at least she is home and not out with someone else. Thank you for a daughter who may not always listen because at least she is still around to talk to. Thank you for yard work, broken toilets, and leaky faucets because it means I have a home. Do you see the perspective issue? Thank you for a sore back and sore knees when I get out of bed because it means I got out of bed. Thank you for, I heard an amen there, right? <laughs> Thank you for, uh, for all the complaints and turmoil about our government and politics because it means we still have freedom of speech. Thank you for being stuck in traffic. Yeah, we all do that, right? Because it means I have transportation. Thank you for taxes because it means I have a job. Thank you for an alarm clock because it means, or alarm clock that goes off because it, it lets me know that I'm alive. Guys, perspective is everything. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. It's just the reality. And if we fixate on half empty, if we fixate on the struggle and the trial, which is real. I'm not saying we just ignore it and we walk around going rainbows and unicorns all the time. I'm saying we acknowledge it and then quickly get to praise and rejoicing. Because that's what makes us different from the rest of the world. And if not us, who? And if not now, when? So what is the secret to seeing the blessings of your life. What's one of the secrets? I just gave it to you. What is it? Perspective. Perspective. Huge. What else, though? All things work together for good for those who love God or are called according to His purpose. We'll get to that in the next point. Awesome. Remembering that theology, that even this is for our good and God's glory, whatever the this is. What else? Fellowship of the church. We need, guys, I say it over and over. I'm going to keep saying it until we actually believe it. This is as close to eternal glory as you're going to get down here on this planet. Not because our church, I mean, the God's gathered people are as close to eternal glory as we're going to get down here in this broken world. So we need that. We need it not just on Sundays, but we need it. We need brothers and sisters we can reach out to by text message um, or by phone calls or just gathering together in D groups to remind ourselves, hey, even through the struggle, God is good. Any others? Be optimistic. Like, and, and this is ultimately where we'll end up, is what Kendall just said. Guys, thankfulness, rejoicing is a choice. It's not, it's, it is, it's not a feeling, it's a choice. And we'll get there in a few minutes. So practicing rejoicing, that's part of what we do here on Sundays. And sometimes that rejoicing is weeping with those who weep. That's rejoicing. Right? It, isn't, I don't mean, it doesn't always mean laughing and having fun. That's another thing I think that we've, we've kind of, um, we've taken the gospel and salvation and we've, and we've lowered it down to this place of, only happy things are God's things. Joel Osteen has that wrong. I'm just going to tell you. Joel Osteen and, his little, and all his people in that group have that completely wrong. God did not, Jesus Christ did not come here and die on a cross so that we can live comfortably. That's just the truth. And when we can embrace that and go, 
oh, he brought, he came down here to save us and to, and to get us into glory looking as much like him as possible. And, and a lot of that has to do with the hard stuff. Not because of what I just said a few minutes ago. If all God gave us was candy, we would all die diabetic because that's all we would eat. Right? We're, and he knows that about us. He just does. And so he's going to give us some hard things. So one of my favorite, one of the one, pastors that, and, and um, preachers that I listened to, especially right after I got saved in the 90s, um, Charles Swindoll says it this way. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than opinions. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failure, than success, than, other, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance or giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. A remarkable thing is, is, is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the people who, how people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what, is hap what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Life is 10% what happens to you tomorrow and 90% of how you respond to it in the big and the little things, right? And, and, and you can let somebody cutting you off, and I just always use this as an example because it's safe. You can let somebody cutting you off on the freeway or getting ahead of you in line or something. You can let that frustrate you for a second or you can let it steal your joy for a few minutes or you can let it ruin your day. The choice is yours, right? Ultimately, that's the bottom line. It is impossible to simultaneously praise God and woe and lament at the same time. How do I know? Paul and Silas, one of your daily readings this week is in Acts 16. Paul and Silas, they get wrongly arrested. They get beaten mercilessly. Then they get thrown, not in prison, but in the dungeon of the prison, which would have been foul and stank. And then they get shackled to the floor of that prison. And it says that while they were down there about midnight, they were so angry about how wrongly they had been accused, they began to complain to God. No. It says, you know what they were doing? They were, they were singing psalms and hymns and rejoicing together. And guess what happened? The jailer and his whole family got saved. That's the power of rejoicing, even in the midst of a struggle. Peter tells us the same, Peter tells us the same thing. He talk, in, in one of his letters, he's like, as, as much as you get to partner in, in, in um, the, the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. He's like, see it as a positive that you get to suffer with Christ. I'm, I'm not there. I'm just saying that's where I'm supposed to be. Right? And so, so we just need to, so one, we need to remember to be thankful for the blessings, and a lot of that has to do with our perspective problem. The second is our second point. You can go back to our first Thessalonians passage. It's the second, it's the next verse. So it says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. That means pray continually. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to another letter. So, so turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Same, same guy that wrote 1 Thessalonians wrote 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul. Same guy that wrote Romans. It's easy for us sometimes, guys, to say, easy for you to say. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Easy for you to say. Now, hopefully in that first point, we've laid the groundwork. There are seasons of our life where it's easier for us to say, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, than other times. Absolutely. But do not kid yourself into believing somehow Paul didn't, like this was not 
theology to Paul. This was personal. He really struggled. Two, only two-thirds of the way into his walk with Jesus. So he's got a whole other third to go, and it gets worse in his life. He writes this in, first, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 21. He says, To my shame, I must say that, that, that we are too... That we are, sorry, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty one. That we are too weak for that. For whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about that. He's using his suffering as proof that he's an apostle. We don't have time to go into why he had to do that, but that's what, that's what the letter really is about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm, I am talking like a madman. So he's like, I know I'm boasting, and I know that's sinful, and you people have made me so mad I can't help it. And then he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Now, now look at this list. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40, 40 lashes less one. Five times he was beaten 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And, and, it, and it doesn't mean somebody threw a rock at him. That means they stoned him until they thought he was dead. Right? Three, I was shipwrecked. Night and day I was adrift at this, in the sea. Those of us that love the ocean, that, that right there just terrifies me to death. Like just to think about floating in the ocean by myself for, for 24 hours. On frequent journeys of dangers and rivers, ro dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from my false brothers, in turmoil and hardship. Hey, anyone want to sign up for this program? In turmoil and hardship through many of the sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Hey, everybody, join Jesus. And apart from every other thing, there's also the daily pressure I feel from the, my anxiety about the condition of the church. He's like, he's like, who has struggled without me struggling more? He's saying, because this is not theory to him, but, but what's the point? How can that guy write something like, rejoice, always pray without ceasing? Because he understood that it is in the struggle that drives us to prayer, pray without ceasing, and that praying drives us to God. Because we're never, I mean, you can be reading the word, and let your mind drift away from, from a conversation with the Lord. It's really hard to be in the middle of a prayer and let your mind drift away. Because he's the one you're talking to. Now that doesn't mean that during your prayer time your mind doesn't drift. Mine does that all the time. I'm saying that while I'm actually praying, it is really hard for me not to be focused on him. That's Paul's point. Back to my first point. What, does, what drives us to prayer? Hard times. You talk to somebody who's a prayer warrior... Not all of them. Some of them have just been really gifted, moved by the Lord that way. Most of them, it's because they got there or they are there because they have had incredibly hard circumstances. And it drives them, it drives us to prayer. Nothing drives us to God like our burdens. It's just who we are, right? It's, it's when we are at the end of our rope, when you are all emptied out, when you have no place to look but up, God has you exactly where he wants you. That's the complete like, dichotomy that is the Christian experience. God has you where he wants you, not when your life is going great, but when your life is at its hardest. That's why. Because God is trying to do something in our lives. He's trying to strip us of our self-reliance. I can get rid of that now. God, he's, trying to, he's, trying to, he's trying to strip, of us, uh, strip us of our self-reliance 
This idea of going, I can fix this problem. I can find a solution. He's trying to strip us of our independence. It's my family. It's my marriage. It's my house. He's trying to point us to him. Guys, you, you've heard people preach on the good shepherd and the idea, like, shepherd, we think of the good, even, even how we take the good shepherd and we go, okay, the good shepherd, he's, he's just sweet and he's gentle and he's kind and he's loving and he is all of those things. But what else is a good shepherd? He's a discipliner. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Guys, those were used by the shepherd to control the sheep. Now, sometimes they would have to wound one of the sheep because they were just so stubborn. But, but then what would the shepherd do? He'd carry him. The whole time he's carrying the sheep that he wounded, cost him more work, not, not, the, not the sheep. His heart and the shepherd's heart are being bound together. Because the sheep is finally realizing, oh, I can trust this person. That's part of why God sometimes wounds us. It's back to that theology of, of of 2 Corinthians 4, we were in 11, don't go back to 4, but in 4, this momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison because we don't look at the things that are seen, we look at the things that are unseen because the things that we can see are going to burn, they're temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal, Paul tells us. So he's saying God is going to sometimes afflict you because that affliction is going to produce in you a Christ-likeness that nothing else can. And God's goal for your life is not your best life now. It's to get you to glory, able to glorify Him as much as possible. And you will only do that if you look like Jesus. And Jesus was scarred. And so will you be if, if you're going to enter into glory looking like that. And I know some of you have heard that a hundred times, and for some of you, you're looking at me like I've lost my head because this is some like almost like a, 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 a the wrong God, like a different gospel. But guys, as, as God's people, and not just here, but those of us that, that are not here, and those of you, the friends of yours that are, that are attending churches or saying they're attending churches or watching online or not even attending anything, and they're hearing a gospel that says, put on Jesus and your life will be better, you need to go to them with the truth. You need to lovingly, gently lead them into a place of going, help me understand how come you feel, how come you hear that? Because here's what I see in the book of Job. Right? We, we went through part of Job, we flew through Job in one of, the seri- or one of the sermons in Romans. I won't go through the whole thing again. But guys, think about this. God points Job out to Satan. God gives Satan the, the ability to inflict Job. And Satan does. And Satan takes everything from Job except his wife. And then it says in Job chapter 1, verse 20, and, and through all of this, God, Job blamed God. No. It says, and through all of this, Job did not curse God. And then in, in verse 23 of chapter 1, it says, and he, eventually he got to a place where he couldn't take it anymore, but it says that his response to all of this tra- trauma, to all of these burdens that we're talking about, being thankful in the burdens, is he tears his clothes, he lays down on the ground, and he worships. He rejoices for the word we're using today. He is thankful. How is that even possible? By the grace of God. Job 13, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Wait, 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 how is that, like, how, like in the midst of the slaying, how is that possible? Easy to say when things are good, hard to say when things are bad. Here's how it was in Job, here's how Job knew it. Here's it. 
Job 19, I think it's verse, help me out, Old Testament people, 25? Job 19, 25. It's part of the Old Testament classes. He says, this I know. So in the midst of all the struggle, in the midst of the birds, he says, this I know, my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand upon the earth. How did Job get through all of that? Because he kept his eyes fixed on his eternal truth. Not perfectly. He had his moments. And when he started to doubt, God showed him himself. He didn't say, here's why all this is happening to you. He just said, he said, get your eyes back on me. Your problem, Job, isn't your circumstance, as bad as they are. Your problem is you've lost your focus. So get it back on me, and your heart will get right. And it does in the end of that story. So look at... Well, one more, one more thing. I, mean, I, I want to belabor this point because this is probably, because if I, if I were to take a poll right now, I would guess and say, like, how many of you are struggling? How many of you are in those Job moments? Many are feeling that right now. And it's only, that, that is only going to get worse as the circumstances in our nation get worse, whether they be financial or political or whatever it is. That's, that, that, fe- that Jobness is going to feel like that, oh man, I, like everything is getting stripped. It, we're, gonna, we're all going to experience that more and more. We're going to need each other more and more. But that goes back to we, what we also need is what Adam was pointing us to a minute ago is the theology of Romans. It's why I'll be excited, Lord willing, to get back to Romans in, in, at the start of 2023. Because God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28. For who he foreknew, he predestined. Predestined them to what? To be conformed to the image of his son, Romans 8.29 says. Romans 8.30 says, because those he foreknew, he called. Those he called, he justified. That means he made them right with him. Those he justified, he glorified. Already done. We're not there yet. We're still down here. But we're already glorified. Romans 8.30. And then he says, Romans 8.31. If that God, that God, the God of Romans that's in control of everything, if that God is on your side, what can anyone do, for, do to you? If God is for you, who can be against you? And then he spends the Romans, rest of Romans 8 going, nothing anywhere ever. Go back and listen to the message online. Guys, encourage your soul with the reality that our anchor is anchored to a Savior who does not move. And that is true in the middle of a storm. And if you anchor your anchor to a rock that does move, that is somehow working and is subservient to your own will, your rock starts to move and you're no different than the rest of the world. Our rock does not move and his word is strong. That's the reality, even in the mystery. So today's question, the last point is going to go quickly. It's our last verse. So, so how do we rejoice in Thanksgiving We have to practice, practice being thankful for the blessings, for the burdens, and also for the bounty that God has given us. Now, if we go back to 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, everything, good and bad, give thanks, for this is God's will for you. Do you see it? This, that means, that means this, whatever moment you find yourself in, a good moment, a bad moment, this is God's will for you. Also, rejoicing in that moment. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For that, giving thanks in everything, rejoicing in everything, praying all the time, that's God's will for you. Are we those people? How do we even know if we're those people? So I'm going to quickly go through five. They're going to come up on the screen. I'm going to go through five bountiful blessings. Guys, this, this, I'm just doing five. 
Th this list could go on forever. The, the, amount of the amount of bounty, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart. The heart of man cannot comprehend those, all that God has in store for those whose hearts are truly his. Right? That's our reality. Guys, I, I, I skipped the last talking points question. I, I feel led to go back to it right now. So go back to it right now. Your last talking points question is something to the effect of when you're, when you're struggling in a struggle or someone else is struggling in a struggle, ask this question. This is what I was trained to do early on as a pastor. Is your God big enough too? Now, if they answer no, then back up. Don't judge them. Don't go, oh, you don't have, you don't have a right view of God, son. Don't do that. Okay, so help me understand how is your God not big enough? Maybe, they're, maybe they don't even believe in God. Maybe they believe in God, but they've never really been taught the sovereignty of God. Say, God, is your God big enough to change this circumstance? If the, and the answer is, the, the biblical answer to that question is always yes. So then we go, so he's at the very least choosing not to have changed it. Then we have to start going, so, so what is God doing in my life in the midst of that? What is he using, back to the first two points, what is he using all of these circumstances in my life for to mold me into Christ's likeness? Okay, so now back to our, I just want to make sure you understand. So, so now back to, now, that, now when you're with that person and they're struggling and you're like, hey, is your God big enough? It doesn't, and you say, yes, he is. And boy, this still stinks. And you say, you sit with them in the midst of that, like Job's friends did when they were actually in a good place with him. And you sit with them and you cry with them. And you don't say silly, silly stuff like, just trust in the sovereignty of God. You say, man, this is hard. I want to pray for you right now. What can I do to help you? Like these are the things we need to be asking. And then, and then, as the Lord would have it, you start pointing them to, but man, remember how good God is. That's what God did to Job. It's frankly what the hymns and the psalms were doing to Paul and Silas in the prison. The reason they were able to do that is because they, they, they chose to rejoice and they turned their mind's attention and heart's affection on God. That's just worship. And they worshiped. Right? So, here are five ways. And I'm just going to go through them quickly. There are some verses. You can write them down. Five ways that this bounty can manifest itself here and now and in eternity. And these five could be 55. So they could be 5,000. They could, I mean, the, the Bible is, is like, like Brian mentioned. Like the promises of God, you could write down thankfulness next to so many places in your Bible. Here's five of them. They just all happen to start with P because I'm a pastor. And that's what we do, right? Um, his provision. First one is his provision. He gives us his word. And, and it, there are so many verses we could use for all of these. He gives us his word. Your word is a, li is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Or my, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119. He gives us his spirit to guide us. Isaiah 30, 21. And you will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's a promise that was written 700 years before Christ came the first time, and it's for God's people today. Second one is his plan. Isaiah 14. You could also use the passage Sean read in Isaiah 40. 
Surely, just as I intend, just this is this is God speaking through Isaiah in Isaiah 14. Surely, just as I have intended, so it shall happen. Just as I have planned, so it shall stand. There is nothing that happens on this planet. There's nothing that happens in your life. There's nothing that's going on in this world that is outside of God's sovereign control. There is no square inch of the universe by which Christ does not say, mine. That's the biblical truth. So that's his plans. Oh, and then um, his plans are also personal, though. You know, you, most of you know Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, right? And it goes on to talk about, you'll call on me and I'll reveal myself to you. Now, we gotta, here's what we've got to remember. Job's life ended poorly. That was not a promise to make his life better then. That was not a claim, like, oh, man, my life's going to get great. His life ended poorly. That was a promise to him of, my plan for you is, is heavenly. Now, how do we know that? Because in, in, in um, Jeremiah 1, he says, while I knit you together, actually before I knit together you, you together in your mother's womb, I knew you. I personally knew you, Jeremiah. And oh, by the way, I called you to be a prophet of God before I even put you together. That's his plan for your life. His power. Acts 1.8. And the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall receive power, and you will be my witnesses. We have it written down as you walk out the door today. That's part of his power. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul's trying to encourage his timid disciple Timothy who's got all kinds of health issues and everything else going on. He's like, God has not given you a spirit of timidity or fear, Timothy, but he's given you one of power and love. Right? He's like, he's like remember the power that you've been given. Peace. All that's going on in our world, all that's going on in your life should not shock us. It doesn't mean Jesus has failed. How do we know? Because in so many places, including John 16.33, he says, let me remind you, in this world you are going to have struggles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I've overcome them even in the midst of them. We're going to look at this passage next week. Philippians 4. Right where he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. A couple more. His, I'm sorry, one more. His presence. And this is the key, guys. All of the other stuff, the, the four that we already listed, plus the countless others we could list, here's the reality. But Here's what we know about God's blessings. God's blessings are where God is. And where God is, is where you'll find his blessings. His presence is his... The reason he blesses obedience isn't like why we bless our children when they're obedient. He blesses obedience because, that lead, because when we obey, we're, we're being drawn into his presence because that's where he is. Where we will experience his blessing is with him. So Hebrews tells us that he will never, no, never leave us or forsake us. It also tells us that those he loves, he disciplines. Why? So they'll be drawn back to him. And the last one, Matthew 28, last words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Matthew. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, teaching them to be obedient. And then he says this, And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's like, like, my presence 
is why you want to do what you want to do for me, so that you'll experience me. So how do we get better at rejoicing in Thanksgiving? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice right now, and we're going to land this plane. I'm going to read Psalm 100. I'm going to read it myself. Then we're going to read it. It's a short psalm. We're going to read it a second time, and you're going to say amen after each little break that you see. And then, and then we're all going to read it together, and I'm going to pray. So here we go. Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting to all generations. So as the music team comes up, I'm going to read those again. And wherever one of those breaks are up there on the screen, you're going to just, all you're going to do is say amen. So shout joyfully to the Lord, because amen means I agree. So be it. That's what the word amen means. It means you're agreeing with what God's word is saying and what I'm reading. Shout, so if you agree, say amen. If you don't, don't say it. It's okay. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Amen. Awesome. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. Okay, now we're going to read the whole thing together because we are practicing rejoicing. Guys, fill your minds with God and His Word. What you fixate on, you will migrate towards. And the world and your phones and the television and all the other stuff out is just wearing us out. Turn off the news and pick up your Bible. Amen. Shout, all right, here we go, ready? Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And His faithfulness to all generation. Pray with me as I pray. Father, I thank You for that truth. I thank You that You are a good God. And that Your goodness, your goodness and mercy pursue us all the days of our lives. And that we as Your people will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let that be top of mind to us, Lord. Let that be what our souls sing. Let that lead us into praise and rejoicing with thankful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.